Hello, and welcome to the Soundweavers podcast. Soundweavers explores the trials and tribulations of small ensemble musicianship through conversations with leading performers and composers. Today's episode features Laura Lentz, Mark Webster, and Eric Polenik from 555. We hope you enjoy. wonderful gentlefolk, welcome back to the Sound Weavers podcast. As always, I am your harping host, Dr. Rosanna Moore, and today I am flying solo because I have three members of the team by the incredible 5x5. Now, who are 5x5, I hear you ask? Well, they are a quintet made up of flute, clarinet, guitar, double bass and piano and they are an incredible success story known for their musical excellence and also imagination as said by David Raymond from City Newspaper and they are also an artist-led based ensemble formed in 2015 with the mission to engage audiences with the collaborative spirit and creativity of today's music. So today we have two members of the ensemble and a creative member of their board. Mark, you're going to have to um, tell me what your actual title is for this. We have Laura Lentz, who is the flute player. We have Eric Polenik, who is the double bassist, and the glorious Mark Webster, who is, I know from experience working with him, a brilliant and wonderful sound engineer. So welcome and thank you for letting me pick your brains today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So I'm going to launch straight into the questions. You guys have a pretty unique ensemble, and I know that you also didn't start at university like a lot of our ensembles in the past have. Can you talk a bit about how you landed on your instrumentation and also how you got together as a group? We started because of a wonderful concert that I attended in Detroit when I was visiting some friends at the Detroit Institute of the Arts. Missy Masoli and her group Victoire were, uh, were performing there. And I came back to Rochester and was wowed by her music and wanted to play it. And so I started reaching out to uh, various musicians that I knew. And Eric was one of the first ones that uh, we got in touch with each other. We started uh, reaching out to some other people. We decided to do a concert. Um, not only of Missy Mazzoli's music, but actually of music for the instrumentation that came together, flute, clarinet, electric guitar, bass, and piano. And um, we became a nonprofit in 2017. Uh, now we are, there's you know the quintet, and we have a creative team that keeps expanding, including Mark, including Amy Blum, um, who's doing PR work for us. Um, the board um, created an artistic director position for me uh, last year. And so the group keeps um, uh, expanding uh, its vision to try to 
keep that engaging the audience in the creativity and collaboration idea going into the future. Community building is such a huge part of your mission and vision. Can you talk about how you have achieved this within your group and also what you want to do as further work? We really wanted to promote this music because we all love the music. And I think coming from an area where you say new music and everyone all of a sudden gets very scared of it. For us, we wanted to be more involved with the community that way and to bring people to it in a friendly manner. And, you know, we just love the music so much that we wanted other people to love it as well. And we saw that a great way of performing and bringing this music to the community was actually teaming up with other ensembles, other organizations in the community. It's a win-win. Um, we get to share audiences. Uh, we get to share creative power um, and really the strengths of each organization. Going off from that uh, same subject, you have started collaborating with artists and musicians on many of your works. And I know that obviously Mark is one of the creative forces who helps with uh, your music videos, which I will talk about in a later question. But how do you come up with these ideas and how to bring them to fruition? Now, in particular, I am interested in one of your upcoming projects with, I believe, an artist from the Corning Museum of Glass uh, and collaborating with electric harpist and composer Amy Nam on a new work. And are there glass instruments being made for this as well, I believe? Yes, there are glass instruments being made. In fact, um, there's a glass flute that... Um, I chose out of uh, Madeline Ryle Smith, she's a wonderful glass artist, uh, who we started collaborating with. Um, I can't remember how we met, but we both are, uh, were at RIT. She's now uh, graduated and left RIT. I'm, I teach flute there. And um, she gave me a bunch of glass flutes to try, and I picked one and I played it for Amy Nam because we won a, a commissioning grant from Chamber Music America. And um, Amy was like, you know, we had this glass idea. So the glass flute has been written into the flute score, which is really cool. And um, Mark, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the video idea that we have. Sure. So the, the idea on the, uh, the video is that, um, and again, this all just came about brainstorming with Amy and with Madeline, the uh, the glass artist and Eric and with Laura. And <clears throat> we're not exactly sure how it's going to all come out, but the, some of the current ideas is, is that we, we is that the piece is built around all the different things that a glass artist would do when they create glass objects, glass art. And so we would actually uh, have, as we filmed the video, we would have Madeline blowing glass right in the middle as we film the video. And as you do different takes, you'd actually, as the video progressed, you'd actually see the glass artwork start to become, uh, become realized. And what she's making is she's actually making a glass flute, a glass guitar, a glass bass, a glass piano, and a glass clarinet. And so you end up with, and then she's making a glass horn for herself. So you end up with all these instruments that are actually made out of the glass and as she makes each one, she ends up handing it to the to the uh, the uh, the musician. And by the time you get to the end, everyone is playing glass instruments. And if we can pull it off, we're hoping that we'll actually have a you know the the instruments. Some of the instruments will actually that's what you'll hear is the actual sound of the glass, like the glass flute. And actually, Amy has written the piece with glass production in mind. So there's 
sounds of popping and blowing and mm -hmm. you know so stretching stretching and her pieces tried to capture that process and so then we're going to make a visual representation of her piece in the video in the glass uh production at corning glass museum you know it's a it's a it's a good match yeah so talking of uh, making music videos, uh, you have kept pretty busy during the pandemic, including producing a fantastic music video of a work by Miguel del Aguila, who actually was a former uh, guest on season one of Soundweavers. I, I just wanted to ask how you found the funding and inspiration for a work like uh, this whilst you were in lockdown. Initially met with Miguel um, and he told us what the piece was about. It was inspired by the carnival uh, parades of his hometown in Uruguay. And he told us how the musicians would gather in the morning, they huddle around a fire, make a you know bonfire to warm up their instruments. And then they go marching into town into this huge parade. And it was just an awesome, awesome fun time. But we thought, well, how could we just kind of translate this into Rochester? And so this whole idea of like, well, we could make a parade through Rochester. Obviously we're in pandemic. It's not going to happen very easily. Um, but we had been experimenting around with this idea of everybody doing remote videos and then compiling them and, and doing 3D animation and putting the remote videos into it to look like you're actually in a real place. And that actually turned out to work out pretty well because we were able to make a list of all of our favorite businesses and restaurants and, and things like that in Rochester that we loved. So we put all these into uh, one giant street where a parade happened virtually in animation. And then we put all of ourselves into it, playing our instruments. And then, of course, we were like, well, shoot, let's invite all of our friends because we're missing them as well. So we actually called up friends from all around the country, actually all around the world. And we said, hey, send us a video and you can be in the parade. <laughs> And so we ended up with like dozens and dozens of, of our friends all marching in through a parade in Rochester. Including our Yes, editor. Blair shows up multiple times in the parade. <laughs> videos for classical music and for chamber groups is starting to become a little more mainstream. You're actually not our first group who has delved into this. Do you think that this is the future of small ensemble music making? And what do you think are the advantages are to just having an audio recording versus having video and audio? I think that in general, we are more screen focused you know i mean that's that's the nature of society today like i think of my family who is you know states away and can't see live performances uh that i'm doing all the time and this gives them a chance to to see what i'm up to 
and it gives us a chance to connect with people with further out from the Rochester geography or, or from where we can travel. Um, and then creatively, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's really exciting from a, you know, an artist perspective. We can just, we can do so much, not even just visually, but audio um, as well. I mean, we've, we've, Mark was saying earlier that, you know, we're changing the way that we were mixing, but we're actually changing the way people are mixing classical music. We're adding post recording effects mm -hmm. into the music and, uh, you know, teaming up with composers to talk to them about like, well, which reverb should we have in this section of the piece? And what about if the reverb changes over the course of the piece? And that's uh, it's a really deep well that I don't think has been tapped into yet. Talking about programming in general, diversity in our programming as musicians is becoming increasingly important, uh, especially when we're focusing on the music of living composers. How do you structure who to choose as composers for each season? Uh, do you have a rubric? And if so, how did you develop said rubric? Our goal is to have our programming represent the world around us. Also internally, the organization should represent the world around us. So we are well aware of our strengths, we're well aware of our weaknesses, and we're looking to, to make a, a stronger commitment internally and externally. We have always had a commitment of a diverse roster, but we realized uh, unless we had concrete metrics and benchmarks to refer to, it was not fully clear to us how successful we were being. So with Mark's uh, help, we created how a strategy to do this. We decided to look at population statistics in the United States and base benchmarks for each season's composer roster um, that it needs to represent the population statistics of our country. So for example, you should have at least half women composers. You should have at least, I think it's 13% black composers. All these numbers we're using um, and comparing it to our actual numbers and seeing where the shortfalls are. It's an ongoing commitment. It's an ongoing, you know, emerging and leading composers. Also, you want, you want to also support emerging composers. You don't want, you know, you want to have a well, a well-rounded roster committed internally to diversity, inclusion, um, accessibility, and also the programming that you present. I think the nice thing too is within the board, we have accountability on it now. The artistic director, the job description says that there needs to be this type of programming. Um, and so that's part of the job. And it's really nice to have that accountability because it really brings it like to our minds every time we're meeting. And I think it's also important for us to think that like when we were coming up with this, this was a starting point. It was easy to get overwhelmed with not knowing how to go from you know zero to perfect. And uh, we found that this was a, a good stepping stone. And I mean, who knows where to lead? I'm sure we'll be vi visiting this often as we do and keep talking about <laughs> every board it, meeting. what we can do. Yeah, every board <laughs> meeting to see you know where are we at, what we can do better, should we move the numbers should we try different things and that's one of the nice things about being a new music ensemble i mean it's you have like free range to do whatever you want because you're new 
So it's it's really nice to have that. You have been hugely successful in writing grants over the past few years, including being offered um, funding by New Music USA and Chamber Music America, amongst others. Uh, and I have two questions for this. Firstly, what is the key to successful grant writing? But also, I know that you've been offering panels on grant writing to other musicians. Uh, and I'd love to know how these have been received. And do you think more groups, uh, rather than the funding bodies themselves, should be offering this type of training? Um, well, first of all, thank you. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, we ha have a, a fabulous team of people that just keep coming with up with great ideas and great great work and creativity. And none of those grants could happen if it wasn't for all the great energy and great musicianship and ex high excellence of, of the ensemble and the, the team around it. The grant writing of the group has evolved so that I'm doing a lot of the artistic narrative and Eric is doing the financial piece. It's really, really hard to do um, for one person. Um, and we also, have a team of editors that help us. We have evolved at, in terms of the kinds of grants that we're able to apply for, because you know you have to apply for a certain grant when you're at a certain point. Only this past year did we feel ready to apply for certain grants with the state and the, the government. That was um, a big step for us. But if we had done that earlier, I don't think we would have um, known what to do. As for the, the little panels, um, grant panels, they have been very helpful. Um, also for, for me, I've, I've held probably three or four of those on Zoom and invited people um, from all over uh, to participate. And it was basically, I gave kind of a nuts and bolts about grant writing, steps that help. I think people found it helpful. Um, I found it helpful because it helped me to explain a little bit about what, what I do. Um, I also realize every, you know, you learn things and you get questions and you don't know the answers to things. And so then you can keep learning. So yeah, we've been really, I think we've been really lucky. I think uh, we were fortunate to get two new Music USA grants really early on. We had only been together for a year and um, that helped us to fund immediately seven commissions and all those seven are coming out on our debut album next week, which is really when it's released. Um, and that's thanks to New Music USA. Chamber Music America has funded this new piece um, by Amy Nam that we're, we'll be premiering uh, uh, next fall. We've been really fortunate and really grateful uh, to those funders and others who really just taken, you know, shown support for Five by Five's work. Your debut album was released in November, December 2021, and I just wanted to ask how long was the process to develop this cd i know i can't even it's been so long i know i'm not <laughs> going to get the years right i know i was in san diego and you called me and you said laura i know you're on vacation but i've got to tell you we just got we just won the this artist share uh eastman new artist program and then the pandemic hit and we were supposed to record four uh glassworks pieces by uh judith schechter and um, then the pandemic happened and we didn't. And then we started recording the other three pieces. And then we thought, all oh, this music is inspired by visual art. What if we made an album? One thing very cool about the, uh, uh, from an audio engineer point of view that I've really appreciated about the album is that, you know, we alluded to earlier about how the, the sound of 5x5 has evolved. 
over the recording we've done over the last couple of years. Um, and particularly on this album, it really, because we were suddenly doing a like, you know, eight songs within, you know, six months actually of recording, um, it really, really pushed us to kind of refine that whole sound. And uh, something that's interesting that happened over the past year or so of recording is that um, traditionally when we record, actually when I recorded 5x5 five five originally, I, the traditional way of doing it is you put the, the ensemble in a room and you put up a room mic um, and you might have some spot mics that you might use, but 90% of your sound is all from the room mic and that's kind of the sound you capture. What, as we were doing mixing together as a group, um, what was interesting is that from, from month to month, as we worked on piece to piece to piece, the groups kept saying, you know, bring up the spot mics, not so much room mic, more spot mics, more spot mics. And it's eventually evolved to the point where we were basically using no room mic, it was just spot mics. And at that point, you're really recording more in the style that you would if you were doing like say a pop band or a rock band or something like that, which mm -hmm. suddenly opens up a whole new landscape of possible sonic ideas and studio ideas and techniques and things like that you can use. Um, and when we all kind of realized where we had just arrived, it was suddenly like, you know, the lid just got taken off and it was like, there was a, a particular point where Laura had a flute solo and at the end, uh, one of Kamala Sankram's pieces, the, the opening piece on the album, about halfway through, she has this flute solo. And at the very end, she goes up this really, really high part and it's really, really cool sounding. And I remember thinking as I was mixing, it, it was like, you know, if I was mixing a, a pop band or something and the singer did that, I'd put an echo on it. And then I was like, wait, She's on, she's on her own track. I could do that. You can so do that. So then I tried it. And then, of course, I'm a little nervous. Like, what are they going to think if I you know, have echoes in this classical music ensemble? Uh, <laughs> but I ran it by her. She liked it. Then I ran it by the whole 5x5 five five ensemble. And everyone was liking. It's like, uh-oh, what do you think Kamala Sankram, the composer, is going to think? Should we, should we ask her? <laughs> but we asked her, and she loved it. And that was kind of a key moment in realizing that, hey, you know, we we should not limit ourselves to just concert style recording here. invited panelists, especially for Eastman, uh, for their Institute of Music Leadership and Arts Leadership Program. And you also have taken on interns from the Arts Leadership Program. Uh, I would love to know what role your interns play when they come to work with you. And how important is the passing on of this information to the next generations of musicians to you? We love uh, working with Eastman interns. And it's, it, it's a it's an important educational piece of our work because, I mean, we have this fabulous institution right down the street here, all these great students that come to town and we get the good fortune of getting to know them and working together with them. Um, 
each of the interns that we've had the chance to work with are amazing musicians, amazing cellists and composers and pianists and full of passion. And almost half of the sessions that we have together are just chatting about being in a, in a chamber group or their dreams about being in a chamber group or forming their own group. But for example, this, this uh, semester, our intern Joella Becker, she was really interested in our educational programs and was really an important part of our playful music programs that we just presented um, in collaboration with the Strong National Museum of Play. Uh, we uh, commissioned 12 pieces by six composers, miniature pieces, um, inspired by toys at the Hall of Fame. And um, we presented performances at the museum and also at two library branches. There was a big focus on sensory friendly programming. Joella, super, super important in, in helping Marcy Bacon, our clarinetist and education director, in developing these programs. Without Joella, these programs wouldn't have been as, as successful. She was right there with us and, and helping us uh, in so many aspects of those programs. So. Uh, you know, we we do see them as uh, their colleagues. And one of our former interns is probably going to be joining our board. So talking of uh, offer, obviously the internship is for college students, but with some of the training that you do and the panels that you do, have you considered offering this at the pre-college level? We're actually in uh, talking a little bit with um, Eastman Community Music School about a couple of ideas. Um, I think our educational goal is to, you know, try to be inspirational to whoever we can. And so if we can, um, you know, I really enjoyed recently uh, the panel that I, I was at um, down at Eastman for the Institute um, of Music Leadership. Um, and we discussed a wide range of issues about running a nonprofit organization. And students' questions are just amazing, and they're just you know so curious. And you know, I think I think the more that we also can, yeah, reach different ages. Absolutely, I love that idea. I love that idea. In fact, we've we're, we've been talking with a couple schools um, for is it next year um, for where basically we would put together kind of a package where there would be a series of workshops on issues around chamber ensembles things like grant writing, things like um, how do you record chamber ensembles, things like that. And it would be kind of a two-part thing. There'd be like a set of workshops and then there'd be a concert that goes along with it. And the concert would basically be like the concert of all the things we just got through talking about in the workshops. Um, so it, it, it makes it very real. It's like, you know, okay, here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the theory part and the, the, the workshop part, but here's how it actually plays out in real life when we give concerts. Which actually leads me um, to the next question. So as a group, I, I, I know that obviously, Laura, you are the artistic director. You've alluded to the fact that uh, Eric does some of the financials, the Marcy, your clarinetist, does the education um, section. I do all, well, all six of you <laughs> pitch in for administrative tasks or does it fall on the three of you? And how, how and why did you choose to delegate in this way? And has this changed over the years? And I know it kind of has because I know you you were given the artistic directorship in the last year or so. I, I would think it, it's evolved out of necessity. And it's, 
you know, we didn't we didn't give Laura the the artistic director. She was already doing all of that work and really well at it. And it came time to recognize her for that and make something more formal. It, it, it is a lot of work to run a not-for-profit chamber music group. And we try to keep playing to everyone's everyone's interests and what really makes them fire, what really gives them passion. And we keep trying to grow the organization to find that, okay, we don't have someone that's doing this. Well, okay, we'll do it to get it done, but then let's find someone who that has that passion and can, can do that with us. We, I don't know if I've giggled so much in an interview for quite a while, but we have come to the end of our interview of three of the members of 5 by 5 We have had Laura, we have had Eric, and we have had Mark. So as always, all of your information and socials and everything will be popped down in the show notes below. And dear, wonderful listeners, please do check out 5 by 5 If you are local to Rochester, please go to one of their shows and support. And if not, check out their debut album that came out at the end of 2021. And with that, we will see you all soon.